Let's look again exactly what Moses said to Israel. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And Moses is pouring out his heart and he says, These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land that you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Do you see the emphasis on you, your children, your grandchildren, this anchoring power of God that must be be operating in your heart and in your life? The opportunity of the text is this. The future is awesome. God says he's leading his people to a land. We know the context that he's talking about the promised land. It would be a setting and a lifestyle like they had never known. And if they were going to enjoy the fullness of what God had for them, they had to steward that opportunity by the way they lived. They would not earn entrance into Canaan by anything they would do. That was the grace of God. But to enjoy the the long-term impact of that would have to do with their heart of focus on God. And did you see it was about a 150-year influence You, your children, your grandchildren. We're talking about an incredible responsibility of anchoring future generations. You know, when you read genealogies in the Bible, uh, they can be difficult because the names are hard and they can be long. And many times people skip over them. As I was considering this, I remember as, as a boy sitting in church, this guest minister was reading the scripture and is about to preach his sermon and he got to one of the genealogies and he's going so and so beget so and so and so and so beget so and so and like all of us who preach have done he started struggling pronouncing those names it reads like a Hebrew phone book and and he's trying to get those names out and the genealogy is long and finally he just stops. He says, you know, as I look at this, they continue to beget each other halfway into the next page. Let's just start there. <laughs> they just skipped the whole thing and started reading when the genealogy stopped. The reason we don't want to skip over even that is because the genealogy is like God's lineup card and you get to see generation after generation and if they anchored successfully the next generation in a legacy of faith. You've all seen a manager of a baseball team walk on the field and he hands to the umpire the lineup card. He gives that lineup card to the opposing team and on that lineup card are those who will be in the game, the position they play, where they will be batting. And when you read throughout scripture, we're given genealogies Because God, too, has a lineup card. And he wanted us to see firsthand exactly the position and how those people effectively led their life or not in then anchoring future generations. God has a lineup card. And in the providence of God, you're on that card. You're on that card in this season of the unfolding story of redemption. You have been placed strategically in the heart of your family. Everyone here is is part of a family and you are either living in such a way as to contribute to the strength of that family or not. We all have a specific role. You're on the card. 
you are in the game. And there is a mantle of responsibility that is placed upon all of us to live in such a way as to anchor future generations in a faith legacy of first love for Jesus Christ. We're talking about a 150-year influence. This is what is amazing. The Bible says if you live with a fully devoted heart to God, God will bless you. It's, it's repeated over and over again. But I want you to see how God expands on that blessing. He says he not only will bless you for your heart of full devotion, but if you live fully devoted to God, God will bless your kids and your grandkids and future generations. It doesn't even talk about the way they live. They will have their call, their assignment, their responsibility to steward their life. But there will be a a favor they can know, a wisdom they can know, an environment of which to understand who God is, a blessing of God on them that ties right back to your heart and to my heart of devotion to God. We're talking about the opportunity to anchor future generations, 150 years old. So how would you do that? How would that happen? A couple of thoughts on that. We're going to anchor future generations. I believe we must begin with the end in mind. How do you want to be remembered? You know, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? You see, that kind of question begins to form values. And what we need is to know our values. Because if we know our values, we develop convictions. And we don't live out of a convenience-driven attitude but a sense of conviction that is not moving around with cultural trends. One man writing about the American church says we must be careful not to be a church of near belief because we cannot impact nor anchor future generations because we have near beliefs. We must be people of conviction. This younger generation is living in a very pluralistic society which says to them there are many ways to experience an eternal life or an afterlife or some type of of security or significance. We believe as followers of Christ, as biblical Christians, that there is only one way to God. We believe that that one way is through Christ himself And his provision through his substitutionary atonement. He gave his life, shedding his blood, that we might be saved. And it is his name that is given among men whereby we must be saved. That's what we believe. There aren't many ways. There aren't a few ways. There is one way. That is a very narrow position in this current culture. But it doesn't matter because it's the truth. And it is a conviction, and a conviction is a convincing of the heart that no matter what the culture says, it doesn't change the truth of God. And we anchor future generations not by having near beliefs, but by having deep down settled convictions that Christ, He is God, He is Lord, He alone is Savior. That's a sense of passion that rises out of convictions because we know our values. 
Because we started with the end in mind. We know how we want to be remembered. As an encouragement, I want us to all know that legacy is not about perfection. Legacy is about perseverance. And none of us are perfect. This one guy came to me recently, he says, every time I read a book on parenting, it, it just smashes me. I just learned 10 more things that I'm not doing. And I didn't want to discourage him from reading those books, but I did want to say, look, legacy is not about perfection. It is about perseverance. All of us, if we could, we'd turn the clock back. But we can't. But don't drag yesterday into today. This is a day where if I give myself to God, God can work. Every legacy will be attacked by sin. Every legacy will be attacked by obstacles and challenges. And so it is not perfection that will pass on a faith baton. It is perseverance. People who refuse to quit. People who refuse to give up. People who, who refuse to let failure be final. People who refuse to just go with the flow. I'm talking about perseverance. Is what anchors the future generations, not perfection. Now, if I could somehow boil this down. As I talk about heritage, some of you may say, but you don't understand. When I look up my family tree, whoa. You just have no idea what has come down the line. And maybe there's a lot of pain and a lot of sin and a lot of dysfunction and you would struggle even believing if you could be that anchor man, that anchor woman for future generations. I want to tell you, it can start with you. The power of the gospel says it can start with you. You see, it is not so much the heritage you come from that's important, but the legacy you leave. You may want to write that down or put it in your spirit, put it in your heart. You see, the family you have come from is important. But not as important as the family you lead and will leave a legacy to. You see, the way our environment was structured, whatever way we were raised, it has a determining factor. But it doesn't own the future. God owns the future. That, that heritage is not more powerful than the power of God and the power of grace. So you do not have to, you can get out of your own way by the power of transformation in your life. And you can be that person who anchors future generations. There's good news in this. I think to boil it all down, what fashions our life as an anchor of influence on future generations is just everyday obedience. Think about compound interest. A person can, let's just take a person who's about 20, takes a very small amount, and they, they make a deposit of a very small amount, and they're patient, and they're consistent, and compound interest begins to work. And a momentum and an exponential growth occurs off of a very small, consistent deposit. 
that by the time that person is 60, I'm not so sure in this present government we're in, but anyway, uh, just stay with the illustration. Don't get angry, don't get bitter. By the time they're 60, it can be exponential. Because of the power of interest that started compounding. I have put my soul in this text of Moses saying, if you will live a certain way, there will be this profound influence in years to come. Even after we're gone, there is a legacy that will continue to influence. How does that happen? Because when we make these small deposits of spiritual capital every day called obedience, the power, the compounded power of God begins to bless that everyday simple act of obedience that then manifests 150 years out as the blessing of God called heritage on future generations. That means today's very significant. That means if I want to anchor 150 years out with a spiritual influence, it starts today. How? Just be obedient. As a follower of Christ, choose to obey. If you're married, follow through on what the, the word instructs you to be in that marriage as a parent, as an employee, as a neighbor. Just simple acts of obedience. And it has a profound influence. Think about a bamboo tree. You, th this is true. Check this out when you get a chance because it's fascinating to me. You can plant this bamboo tree. And in year one, you water it, you fertilize it, and nothing happens. Year two, water it, fertilize it, care for it, nothing happens. Same in year three. Year four, you water it, fertilize it, nothing happens. In year five, the bamboo tree grows 90 feet in 30 days. That's amazing. I've been looking for some bamboo DNA. It hurts me. Don't, don't you say amen. I'll kick you out of this church. Man, I, was, I teed you up on that one. That was just out of the park. It's amazing. You could be so frustrated in year one, year two, year three, because it seems nothing is happening. As you pray for your family, as you wake up every day and just follow through, and you're in a season or seasons where it seems nothing is happening, like no advance, no progress. When nothing is happening, something's happening. It's just below the surface. Because the bamboo tree could never grow 90 feet in 30 days and sustain that growth unless over the past four years there was something happening beneath the surface. And over that four-year period, there was a root system that was growing down and getting lodged and going 
deep. There are times as you lead your family, you'll wonder, is anything paying off? But we must not be dismayed. We must not be defeated or discouraged. Because if you don't become weary in well-doing, you will reap a harvest. And that harvest has a progression to it that will reach way out there to future generations with a favor and blessing of God that ties right back to just cultivating your heart today, watering your heart with the Word of God, interceding and sowing tears of intercession and just being real in your faith forms an anchor that will stabilize your family in the storm and keep them from dashing against the rocks of despair. You're an anchor man. You're an anchor woman of God. Hold to God. Oh, it stirs my soul tonight. This is what we want to create is an atmosphere to just say, God, I want to be that kind of person. We're going to pray for every family, every person. father wrote a letter to his adult son who was a really, really good man, a Christian man, husband and father. Had passion, vision, but this father said, I've got to write my son because I feel he lacks a focus on his family. And he wrote and he said, I'm so proud of you, but I, I want you to focus on your family. And that son read that letter and he was convicted. He took it seriously and he processed it and he prayed through it and he gave himself in focus on his family and he did an extraordinary job. But as his dad closed the letter and said, focus on your family. That phrase just never left this husband and this father And not only did he anchor his family, but he went on to start a ministry called Focus on the Family that has become a national, international influence on one family after another. Because in a simple letter, a simple reminder, a simple message of where's your focus, a message of priority, just an encouragement, with all that's going on, make sure you stay centered and make sure you keep the priorities right. It not only anchored James Dobson's family, it became an influence and it will live on long after he's gone. What could be hanging in the balance? What is at stake today? as we ask ourselves just where is our heart for God really? Where am I really as it relates to having a passion for God, to having a heart for God? I want us as a church family to be stirred to our core until we are on fire for Jesus and we are stewarding this this opportunity and responsibility and we are focused the way God would have us to be focused. 61% of our teenagers, once they graduate and leave home from a Christian home, abandon their faith. 
in that young adult season, while they're drifting spiritually, they make the biggest decisions of their life, who they will marry, what they will be, and purchases like a first home. They make those critical decisions while they are drifting spiritually. So there is no wisdom of God in the decision. They form a family that has no anchor. They get dashed against the rocks of despair and over half of all marriages end in divorce. And if this cycle, if this drift is ever arrested and stopped, it will not ever be because we have a certain government, certain people in government, that will be a short-lived victory. I am not saying back away from the political process, back away from your involvement. I believe in being involved. Even today, if you haven't registered to vote, we have a setup where you can register to vote as you leave today. Believe in all that. But if ever we put the stock of our future as a country, as a family, as a people, in what is going on in the White House rather than our own house, and rather than our church house, we will delegate a responsibility of which God never wanted us to delegate. It is on us. It is our stewardship. It is our responsibility. And if we, his people, will turn from our wicked ways and seek his face and repent of our sin, God will come. He will come in his glory. He will come in his power. And he will bring correction. He will bring renewal. If there's going to be renewal in our community, there must be revival in the church. If there's going to be revival in this house, there has to be revival in your house. There has to be revival in my house. We can't start from the outside and work our way in. We must start with our hearts. We must start with our homes. And then we come to our church. If my people, the Spirit of the Lord says, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek His face, repent of sin, then God will start turning some things. I say with the psalmist, turn us, O God, that we might be turned. Turn back to God. Turn to holiness. Turn to righteousness. Turn back to our families. A focus on the family and we'll be an anchor for future generations. Let's be the people.